Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission and are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word and that through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Good to be in the house of God this morning. Amen. Um, I think this is kind of funny. It left me a sweat towel. <laughs> I'm not planning on getting that crazy this morning. So I'll leave this for Brother Roberts for later. Uh, I just thought that was funny. <laughs> I'm not, I don't get that crazy. But you know what? You never know. I'm not limiting the Lord. So God could just come in and just, you know, shock me this morning. <laughs> Brother Robert said, Lord, let her sweat. Y'all know me. I'm like probably the coldest natured person in our church. So that would probably be, um, it would have to, the Lord would definitely have to be moving pretty strongly in here. Amen. Anyways, if we could stand, we're just going to go before the Lord in prayer. Has anyone just had a week? (laughs) You know, it's just, you just can't, it's just been a week. Um, I feel that. So we're just going to pray. God has amazing things for us today. I believe that. My expectation is high for what God wants to do in here today. So, Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you, God, that in spite of the things that we may have faced this week, God, you kept us. Your grace and your mercy, God, has kept us. God, your mercies have been new every single morning. God, and great is your faithfulness. God, I worship you today, God, and I commit this service to you today, God. I thank you for your word, God, that is quick, that is powerful, God, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you for your word, God, that is never changing, God, that it is forever settled. God, I ask you to move in this place, open our hearts and our minds, God, to receive, God, what you want us to hear today. God, I thank you for your word that's anointed. God, I ask for your anointing upon me as I deliver your word, God, and upon your people as they hear your word. God, open our hearts and our minds, God, to receive, God, what you want to do today. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just praise the Lord a minute this morning? God, we worship you. You're great. You're mighty, God. You are holy, Lord. There's no one like you. You are exalted in this place today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before I begin, I want to just say um, thank you to Pastor and Sister Staten. They're not here this morning, but I thank them for the opportunity and Brother Roberts um, for the opportunity to share the word of God with you this morning. Um, I don't take it lightly, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. Uh, so I'm just going di- to dive right in. Um, have you ever been in church and heard the preacher or someone, even me, say a church word um, that you know you should know what that means, but you know, because you've heard it only a thousand times. Um, But in reality, you're really not quite sure what it means. And so there are many words that come to my mind even that after I grew up in the church, you know, but there are still some church words that we use that I really have to stop sometimes and think about. And sometimes I pull out my phone and I Google it, (laughs) you know, because sometimes I'm like, I think I know what it means, but I'm not 100% positive. 
Um, so I was thinking about that, and then I was reading an article, and I'm just going to read an excerpt from this article. It says, we are moving in the West further along this path as a post-Christian culture. No longer are Christians, Christian terms and biblical concepts commonplace. Most people are not familiar with the story of Job or Peter's, tri- Peter's triple denial of Jesus. Myself, this is my personal experience over the last um, probably six months, I've encountered, encountered two separate individuals that did not realize that Saul and Paul in the New Testament were the same person. And so that, to me, is pretty common knowledge. Um, but the, both of these people grew up in the church. They'd been around the church, but they did not realize that Saul had been converted and his name changed to Paul. So it is, so, it is ironic that so many Americans claim to be Christians, attend churches, they value the Bible, while so few are able to recount the Ten Commandments. If I were to quiz myself even right now, I would probably, I'd have to really struggle to think about the Ten Commandments. Things have changed. Meanings that once were common in culture have become rare in the minds of many people. The shrinking of biblical and theological knowledge in the American culture has also occurred in evangelical churches. Whatever the level of Bible reading and meditation was in earlier generations before now, it seems that the current levels are low. This means that we retain culturally the frameworks and vocabulary of Christianity while having lost touch with their substance. In other words, we can still talk like Christians as in a masquerade, but we don't even know we're wearing a mask. Newer Christians can even adopt the language of mature experience with Christ, though they have not been there personally. So what the, even new people that come into the church can begin saying things that mature Christians say, and they don't really even understand it. They don't fully comprehend what it is that they're even saying. Um, I like to call this in Christianese. I don't know if you've ever heard that, that phrase. Like, this is Christianese. Some words that came to my mind when I was talking about it was exalt. We say that a lot in church. Most people in the world never say exalt. Well, exalt means to lift up, to honor. Glory is a word that we say a lot in the church. Glory is a shining light. It is a splendor. To glorify means to bring honor, to praise, or to show the truth. Another word is behold. (laughs) That's a very biblical Christianese word, behold. We don't say that in 2020, and you know, but it means to pay attention. Look at this. Holy is another word that we're familiar with that we say a lot that the unchurched person or even some churched people don't really understand what holy means. It means basically separation and purity from evil. Atonement. That's a big one. Atonement, it means that our relationship in the Christian world, it means that our relationship with God has been restored through the blood of Jesus. That's what, when we are atoned, that's what that means. Justification. I mean, that's another one. One of the only ways that I can remember what justification means is the phrase, just as if it never happened. (laughs) that's what justification in my, like the way that I can explain it. God justifies our sins, makes it as if it never happened. Resurrection. 
That's a common word, even, even through Easter. There are still people, shockingly, who don't understand what resurrection means. If you say someone came to life, rose from the dead, they would understand that. Another thing that is really not um, super biblical, but I thought it was interesting, how many say bye or goodbye? You know, we're just like, hey, bye, goodbye. What that, is, that, what that came from is people would say, God be with you. And we've shortened it to goodbye. But the deeper meaning of that is God be with you. So even when, it doesn't matter who you say it to, if you're saying goodbye, you're in essence saying God be with you. I thought that was pretty cool. So the article that I was reading, um, it was mostly trying to encourage leaders and Christians to move away from using these words, to um, to kind of just not really necessarily dumb it down, but just to kind of move away from it. And while I agree with that somewhat, I agree that there are times when we need to put down the Christian jargon, we need to put down the Christianese, we need to speak in words that can be understood. I also very strongly believe that doing away with these words is not really the solution. The solution is that really these words should be talked about more in the church, more frequently in teaching. And there should be a desire on our part to receive understanding of that. The Bible says in Proverbs to, to seek after understanding, to with all thy getting, get understanding. And so I think that we should take that as a challenge to not necessarily change our Christianese, but to have an understanding of it and then in turn be able to give that understanding to someone else. So this morning I would like to take one of these words that we talk about so much And hopefully with the help of the Lord, bring some understanding on what it means and how we can practice it as a Christian. Because I like to not only hear about what something is, but how do I apply that? How can I make that practical in my life? So it's a word that's been going over in my mind, honestly, since I knew that I was teaching. And I kept like throwing it around, just the word just kept coming to my mind. And I was like, I don't really know how to go with this, what direction to go with this. And then on last Sunday... I was, you know, in church, and I was like, God, if that's really what you want me to talk about next week, let somebody say that word in service today. (laughs) So I prayed it in pre-service prayer, and Brother Roberts did not talk about it at all. So I was like, okay. Well, then Pastor, he ended up talking about it. He talked about consecration and Samson's consecration and that how it was his consecration that allowed him to walk in the purpose and the power and the promise of God. If you did not, we're not here last Sunday I highly encourage you to listen to the message last week. It was unbelievable. So good. So this morning, I'm going to talk about consecration. Consecration is definitely a word, I think, that not we always fully comprehend. So consecration in one of its simplest definitions is the solemn dedication to a special purpose or service. It is an association or it is a connection with the sacred. It is the act of setting yourself aside and dedicating or devoting yourself wholly to God. That is what consecration is. In the Hebrew, the word was kodesh, talked about in the Old Testament, and it was to be set apart from everything around you is what the word consecration meant in Hebrew. So it was dedicated to God and therefore become sacred. So there are many discussions about consecration, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament principle. 
One of the earliest references to the act of consecration can be found in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. He said to the people, consecrate yourselves for his purpose. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. He will do miracles among you. So consecrate yourselves today. Set yourself apart. Set yourself aside wholly to God for his purpose. And tomorrow I'm going to do wonders among you. After wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, the people of Israel were commanded to consecrate themselves before they could enter into the promised land. It was a prerequisite. As this command was issued and followed, they were assured that God would do great things and that he would fulfill his promise that he had made to them. So the act of, um, that was in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we can see many scriptures, but I'm just going to look at a few. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it says, To come out from among unbelievers and be separate, says the Lord. That's what the Lord t- commands us, to come out from among them and be ye separate. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will graciously receive you, and I will welcome you with favor. God instructs his followers, he instructs us, to touch no unclean thing. And then he promises to receive them in response. Another verse in the New Testament is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. The Apostle Paul speaking here to the, uh, the Romans, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, your bodies, everything, set it apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable or your logical. It's your intelligent. It's just the thing that you should do, act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world with its superficial values and customs. Don't be, don't be conformed to that. Don't, be, don't make yourself like the world. But be transformed. The Greek word here means actually metamorphosis. And what that means is it is a process that leads to a permanent change. So when you're being transformed, it's not just like I'm this way today and I'm going to be this way again tomorrow. No, it's a process of permanent change. Once a a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it can't turn back into a caterpillar. So that is the process of metamorphosis. And that is what the Lord, what Paul instructs us to do is like, okay, this is a process of permanent change. So, and it's as you mature, by the renewing of your mind, by focusing on godly values, on ethical attitudes, so you can prove what the will of God is. How many want to know what the will of God is? And that's how we do it. We, we're not conformed to the world, and we allow our minds and ourselves to be changed so that we can prove what is good and acceptable and perfect to God. So Paul here describes the necessity of viewing the body as a living sacrifice to God. It's set aside wholly for the worship of God, and it's no longer for the ways of the world. So it was once we were walking in this direction, and now we're walking in this direction. In the Old Testament, a sacrifice was something that was set apart for God by being put on the altar. They put it on the altar, and they killed the sacrifice. When people offered that thing to God, it no longer belonged to the one offering it. It belonged to God for his use and for his satisfaction. So the same thing, when we sacrifice and we consecrate ourselves to God, we become that living sacrifice. We're not being putting ourselves on a, an altar and being killed 
in the natural, but we're killing our carnal man and we're being changed and we're giving it up to God. We're giving up our own claims of how we want to do things and, and we're saying, okay, God, I'm putting myself on the altar as a living sacrifice so that you can do whatever you want to do. So before our lives were used for our own satisfaction, but now it's for his. So we have to understand that consecration and that God, first of all, has a very important role in our consecration. He first has to call us. The Bible says that no man comes unto the Lord, to the Father, unless he draws him. His spirit draws him. That's the first step. But yes, he, um, it's a choice that I have to consciously make. I have to see that the ability to consecrate myself, yes, is only made possible by God. But the calling to do that comes from him. Only God has the power to transform a human into something sacred. So in a sense, God is consecrating you, making you holy, but only after you decide to consecrate yourself. He's not going to just come in and say, okay, I'm going to consecrate you. I'm going to make you holy. No, you have to make that choice first and put yourself on that altar as a living sacrifice and say, okay, God, what do you want from me? So this morning, I'm going to try to break it down a little bit, and I'm going to talk about um, five areas that we must be consecrated in. The first area is I must be consecrated in my perception. Perception simply means it is the ability to see, hear, or to become aware of something through the senses. Being able to know something based on instinctive feeling rather than conscious reasoning. Basically, it's my heart. It's my affections. It's my feelings and my perception. It's being able to know something just based on that instinct, you know, that what, what, what I feel. Or do you have any feelers here? You know, you're either a feeler or a thinker. I, I probably somewhere in between, but probably most likely on the side of a feeler. Um, but how many know that most of the time we cannot trust our feelings? We cannot trust our heart. Have you ever heard the phrase, my mom always used to say this as teenagers growing up, your feelings are fickle. You know, and what that means, fickle means that feelings, that they're changing frequently. That they're, especially when it comes to loyalties and what you're interested in and what your affection is for. Those things can change, especially growing up as a as a child, like in the natural, like your perception, like those just change frequently. And even as a Christian, sometimes our affections can be drawn in so many different directions and they can be fickle. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It is extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and who can know its secret motives? That's our heart. That's our feelings. That's that fickle feeling. It can't be trusted. Luke 6.45 tells us that the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. And the evil person out of evil treasure produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of our heart that the mouth speaks. So how do I consecrate my heart? If my heart can't be trusted, if it's fickle, how do I consecrate that? How do I, you know, bring my feelings and my perceptions under the power and the authority of God? Well, Colossians 3.2 tells us to set your affections on things above, on heavenly things. What that means is to keep focused habitually. 
on things above, not on things of this earth, which have temporal value. So many times I think we can just get so our eyes on things and then we start desiring things that are of temporal value and we lose sight of what has eternal value. So I've got to consciously and habitually, how many, like the, I think the saying is that it takes like 28 days or 30 days to create a habit. That's, it's, that's, that takes discipline to create that habit of focusing on the things of God, his word, his spirit, his way, more than the things of this earth. It can't be, oh, I'm going to focus on the things of God now, and then I'm going to th- focus on the things of the world here. No, it's one or the other. It can't be both at the same time. We can't love God and the world at the same time. When we try to hold on to the world, and then we're also reaching out for God, we're literally being pulled in two opposite directions. And we have to let go of one to obtain the other. Because the world and God, the things of God are so far apart, we can't touch both at the same time. Because they are so contrary to one another. So you have to make the conscious habitual decision, okay, I'm not going to put my affections and love for the things of the earth, but I'm going to reach for the things and love the things that God loves. Psalms 51.10 says that to create, even David, who was a man after God's own heart, prayed the prayer, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Even David's heart was wicked. Even David's heart was sick. He needed God to make it clean and change it and create it. Matthew 6.21 in the, the Amplified Version says, for where your treasure is, where your valued items are, what you place value in, there is your heart. Your heart, your wishes, your desires, that which your life is centered on, that's where your heart will be. That's where your treasure will be. So what you need to ask yourself this morning, okay, what am I giving my focus to? What is, what is my desire? What is it that my life centers around? And if it's not the things of God, then there needs to be that prayer prayed, God created me a clean heart. Let my focus, let my affections be set on things above. The second point after we consecrate our heart is we must be consecrated in our perspective. A perspective is a particular way of regarding something. It's a point of view. It's what I see or think of a situation. It's different than what I feel, but it's what I think about a situation. How many know that when you surround yourselves with certain things, it can affect the way that you think? It affects the way you can view someone or something depending on who you surround yourself with or just what you surround yourself with. It affects the way you think. In the world that we live in, we are surrounded by people and things who worship everything and everyone other than God, right? We don't, like the beginning I said, we don't really live in a Christian culture. We live in a world that is consumed with negativity and everything that is dark. And we're constantly bombarded with the way that the world views circumstances. You know, we're constantly bombarded with 
the carnal worldview of what, you know, the government views, how a government views a situation or how our employers view a situation that aren't godly in any way. Our values and the things that we stand for as Christians are being brought under scrutiny and questioned every single day. Our actual way of living, our way of worship, I believe is coming under question in higher realms every single day. The enemy of this world is not happy that the United States is a free country and that we have the liberty to gather together and worship. The enemy is not happy about that. And so they're constantly that spirit that is making those thoughts into people to try to change that. And so it's important for us that we have got to make sure that our perspective and what we think about is the things of God. It's formed first in our mind, our perspective, what we think about. It's in our thoughts. So many times um, it's hard to come against those things, you know, when we're surrounded by, you know, the voice of negativity. And so we ask, okay, how do I overcome that? How do I combat that? It's this overwhelming sense of negativity in the world. How do I consecrate my mind? How do I consecrate my thoughts to the things of God? The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, very familiar portion of scripture to most of us, to finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, to think on these things. You know, you might say, it's really hard to think on the things that are good when I'm so overwhelmed by the bad. I've been there. I've been there when there's so much just, last Sunday even, through the song we were singing, um, Surrounded, I literally, I felt like the Lord speak, spoke to me during worship, and it was like I had literally felt like I was surrounded last week. It had just been a, a week of things coming from every direction, and I felt like I was surrounded. And it was hard for me through that to realize, no, I'm surrounded by God, you know, and I'm not, these things might come against me, but now it's my responsibility to bring those thoughts into captivity, I've got to turn off every distraction. I think that the enemy tries to do that too when things are like coming against you and all that. He tries to bring distractions in us that anything that is louder than the voice of God, anything that's louder than his word, anything that's not true, everything that's not honest or just or pure or lovely is a distraction. That's a distraction. And I have to, sometimes we have to physically and intentionally turn it off. The news can be a distraction. The radio can be a distraction. Music can be a distraction. The phone can be a distraction. So sometimes it takes literally pushing the off button and say, okay, I'm turning it off. Because if not, those distractions are become, going to become an idol in your life. It's going to become, and an idol is anything that we worship above God. And so if something is drawing my attention consciously, constantly to that, it's becoming an idol, and if I don't intentionally turn it off. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says to cast down imaginations. Every high thing that exalteth itself, that lifts, there's that word again, everything that lifts itself up against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. 
I normally don't, I don't always read the Message Bible, but I was curious how the Message Bible would translate this. So I'm going to read it. I honestly like it because it's kind of just like, yeah, it's to the point. It says, the world is unprincipled. Yeah, it's a dog eat dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. We never have and we never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation. Hello, manipulation. Does anyone ever feel manipulated by the world? But that's not our battle. That's not the way we fight. But our weapons are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. That's what our tools are for. We use our powerful God tools, which are prayer, fasting, the word of God, for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers that have been erected against the truth of God. Anything that is coming against the truth of God, our tools are to tear those things down. Fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. I like that every loose thought. Our lives are like a puzzle. And everything, I think thoughts and things that happen to us are just pieces to that puzzle. And they're loose. They're fighting around. So our responsibility is, okay, that thought, it's loose. Does that fit? Nope. That doesn't fit into this puzzle, so I'm casting it down. And so then we've got to replace it with the thought and the intention and what is right that fits in the puzzle. I lo- when I was reading that, that just... I saw that image, that visual, and I was like, okay, I can make sense of that. This is a piece that doesn't fit in this puzzle. So, okay, I'm tossing that aside. I'm, ta- I'm casting that down. You know, I'm, I'm putting it down, and now I'm going to grab a thought based on the word of God, what is true, and that's going to fit. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. We've got to take control of our thoughts. The Bible tells us in Matthew to seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I like it. He goes one step further, and he tells us to take no thought for tomorrow. So he's told us what to think about. Now he's telling us what not to think about. Don't think about tomorrow, for tomorrow is going to take care of itself Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So when I'm constantly thinking of things of this world, when I'm worrying about tomorrow, when, which is really something that I have no control over. I have no control over tomorrow. But when I'm constantly thinking about those things, my perspective becomes so distorted. I can only see what God wants me to see when I think and consume my mind with the things that he has put his stamp of approval all on, which is his kingdom, his righteousness, peace, and joy. When I make his business, when I think about the things of the kingdom, my business, then God's going to take care of everything else. He's going to make sure that everything else is taken care of. So the third point, so I've got to be consecrated in my heart. I've got to be consecrated in my thoughts. Third point is I must be consecrated in my opinion. An opinion is a judgment or a belief that is formed about something. It's not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. We all have our own opinions, right? There's, I'm not sure how many is in here this morning, but every single person has a different opinion about something. 
My mom always said that opinions are like noses. We all have them. Some are just bigger than others, right? Some opinions are quiet. Some opinions are loud. Some are right. And some are wrong. But we all have opinions. What we have in common is whether they're right or wrong, they will affect the decisions that we make. So that is why it's so important that after we've consecrated our heart, after we consecrate how we think about things, how we look at situations, that we consecrate what we allow ourselves to really believe. Because what we believe will affect the choices we make. Oswald Chambers, an author, said that consecration is an act of the Christian's will, resolving to make God's interests their own. The Holy Ghost is working in our lives to impart to us the affections, the desires, and life of Christ. Consecration is the act of continually separating myself from everything except that which God has appointed me to do. My will, therefore the decisions that I make, must be consecrated unto God. Joshua 24, 14 through 15, Joshua was leading the children of Israel, and this was right before he was about to die. He instructs the the children as one of his last instructions. He says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it seem evil unto you, if your opinion is that it's evil to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was making a declaration there. He was saying, okay, this is your choice. What are you going to choose to believe? What opinions are you going to allow to affect the decisions that you make? Choose you this day. If it seems evil to you, if that's your opinion, if it's evil to serve the God who literally delivered you out of the hands of slavery that you had been bound over 500 years and took you through the wilderness, fed you manna and quail, parted the Red Sea, you know, you never wanted for food, you never wanted for shoes, you're, you know, if it, that's evil, then if that's your opinion, then choose. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Those that resolve to serve God must not be, must not mind being singular in it. Meaning that we don't, we have to make up in our mind that it doesn't matter if we have to go against the crowd. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. That's what Joshua was saying here. As for me and my house, he's like, I don't care what y'all do, but this is the choice that I'm going to make. So he, it's not popular. It might not always be the easiest way, but it's the right way. No one can consecrate me. No one can consecrate you. Joshua could not consecrate the children of Israel. They had to make the choice. We, too, must choose to be consecrated. It's an act of surrendering my will and what I want. It's not about my opinions. It's not what I've formed, you know, what I've thought, what I love, what I think, you know, that's formed those beliefs. But God, what do you, what is your opinion on the matter? What is your will? What is your purpose? Jesus has instructed us 
to pray in Matthew 6, and I think that this will help. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and earth as it is in heaven. God, I don't know all that you have planned for my life. I don't even know what all you may ask of me. But my opinion, my judgment on this matter, my declaration is that I choose to serve you. It doesn't matter about my opinion or the world's opinion, but I choose to serve you. The fourth thing that we must be consecrated in is our attitude. (laughs) Our attitude is a settled way of thinking. It's a settled opinion, one that's not changed. Okay, this is my opinion. I've already said it. It's reflected then in my behavior. Our attitude towards something is the interaction of our feelings and emotions. They're working together. It's about that thing and our thoughts and beliefs about it. Behavior is very strongly influenced by our feelings and our emotions, right? By our attitude. In psychology, an attitude refers to a set of emotions, beliefs, and behaviors toward a particular object, person, thing, or event. Attitudes are often the result of an experience or upbringing, and they can have a powerful influence over behavior. While attitudes are enduring, they can change. I'm sure we've all heard the phrase, you can't control what happens to you, but you can't control how you react. Anybody heard that? Yep. How many say it to yourself sometimes, a couple times a week, sometimes every day? Yep. Well, that's our attitude. And if I'm filled with and walking in the spirit of God, I can control my attitude. I can consecrate that to the Lord. I can control whether or not I tell the person who just cut me off. I can control that behavior. I can control whether or not I become impatient with the cashier who seems to be taking forever to scan my items. And if you can't, use self-checkout. That's what I do sometimes. So I was thinking about this last night and kind of confession. There are some days that, you know, I'm like, okay, I just can't deal today. I'm doing self-checkout. I just can't deal. And then there are some days that I know I can't deal and the Lord is like, you need to stop. Like, you're not, calm down. You're not in a hurry. Get in line and conversate with someone. And I have, honestly, I have been standing in line, and I'll, like, be leaning on the, on the cart. And now I'm, like, in my mind, I'm, like, Lord, help me, Jesus, right now, God. Help me, Lord, right now, God, because I'm getting real irritated, you know. And then, of course, you always get in a line that is the slowest, and the person ahead of you has 3,000 items, you know. And it's just, like, God, you are really testing my attitude today, God. But, you know, there are days I think the Lord uses those things. He know, you know what your weakness is, and so sometimes it's like you just need to buck up and be like, okay, I'm going to put myself in this situation, and I'm going to make myself have a right attitude. That's consecrating. That's being intentional about controlling your behavior. It's hard, but sometimes, you know, practice makes perfect. I'm still practicing. But on the flip side, it's that when I'm filled with and walking in the spirit. I cannot change my attitude on my own. I have to make the conscious decision to consecrate my attitude, and then I need the Holy Ghost to help me. Pride says I can do this on my own. I don't need help, which is an attitude. 
But let's ask ourselves the question, can a branch bear fruit by itself? Have you ever seen just a random branch laying out in the parking lot bearing fruit? No. John 15, 4 says, to abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. Jesus is the vine. No more can you except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and then I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. We need God. Amen. We need the Holy Ghost to help us consecrate our attitude and then bear fruit. You may be bearing fruit, but you've got to ask yourself, am I bearing right fruit? Is your fruit sour or is your fruit sweet? Sweet fruit looks a little like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those are that sweet fruit that we're bearing. Colossians 3, 5 says, To put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, or because of these things, the wrath of God is coming, because of these earthly things. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. When we were sinners, we all walked in those things. But now, verse 8 says, you must put them all away. Put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing you've put off that old self, you've consecrated yourself, you've put yourself on that altar You've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones. We are God's chosen ones. He has called us out of darkness. We, he has chosen us. So it is our responsibility to put on as we are holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. Be patient with each other. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Don't gossip, basically. If one has a complaint against someone else, let it go. Forgive it. Stop talking about it. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all these, put on love. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then teach and admonish one another in wisdom. Sing songs and hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart. That's the good fruit. Whatever you do in word or deed, whatever it is, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So to consecrate my attitude, I must choose to act in a manner that is sacred, that is holy, that is set apart more than the behaviors of this world that are carnal and corrupt. That portion of scripture in Colossians, it kind of gives us a comparison of before and now. So I don't have my 
what time is it? Am I out of time? Five minutes. Okay. Then I will hurry through my last point. Point number five is I must be consecrated in my direction. The li- direction is the line along which anything lies, faces, or moves. Our level of consecration can ultimately be, ter- be determined by asking yourself a couple questions. One, where am I headed? Two, which way am I going? Am I moving towards the things of God or am I moving towards the things of the world? Before we were saved, we walked in our own way, made our own decisions. We chose our own direction. We chose which career was best for us. We made that decision based on what we liked, what we were interested in, or maybe just on what made the most money. We chose which friends were the right friends, which relationships were the right ones. We chose where we went, when we went, who we went with. We made our own decisions and our own choices. But after we're saved, God wants us to walk in his way, to follow him and be led by him. I read an article um, by Dr. John MacArthur about Psalm 23, that chapter. It's a very familiar portion of scripture. I'm not going to read it because it's just for time. But it's full of action words. It describes a journey. It's not a standstill, Psalms 23. Even when the sheep lie down in green pastures, it's just a temporary rest for the weary. But from that point on, the sheep are moving. The shepherd leads them beside still waters through the valley of the shadow of death. All the days of their lives, he leads them in the paths of righteousness with goodness and mercy, constantly following them. Goodness and mercy are following the sheep because they're following Jesus. They're following the shepherd. Psalms 23 stresses from start to finish the great shepherd's gentle leading. It's always focused it's always purposeful, and it's filled with goodness and mercy. He is intent on bringing his lambs away from evil and into safety and blessing. That's his intent. All of that is encompassed in the statement, he leads me in paths of righteousness, paths that are right for his name's sake. Scripture places much emphasis on God's sovereignty in salvation, the work of salvation. We can't save ourselves but it does not exclude our responsibility. The shepherd leads, but we're not passive in that. To follow him is my duty. It's my reasonable service. I might stumble, we might meander at times, but we've got to follow him. The Bible says that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. So when we're following after the Lord, when we make it, when we consecrate it, make it our intent to follow after him, even if we stumble, even if we need to lay down and by the waters and rest for a while, he's still going to lead us because he is our shepherd. Their own righteous walk, our own righteous walk, is one of the key evidences that I belong to him. People see that in us when they see that, okay, they're walking in a direction that is really contrary to the direction that everybody else is walking in. That's a key indicator that we're following after him. I'm not walking in that direction to be saved, but I'm walking that direction because God has saved me, because he has saved me and because I want to follow him. The ultimate proof that their faith in the great shepherd is authentic is that they persevere. Those who depart from the paths of righteousness, never to return, probably did not belong to the shepherd in the first place. 
because we are his sheep. We know his voice. But because God is sovereign, we are secure as his sheep. We persevere in the paths of righteousness. The shepherd himself said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. That's the promise that follows our consecration. And Joshua, when we read um, to the, the beginning of the lesson, Joshua, when he told the people to consecrate yourself for tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things. If we read down in that chapter, just a few verses down to verse 14, it says, when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. The Jordan was at flood stage during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zurethan. While the water flowing down to the sea, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they stopped in the middle of the Jordan, and they stood on dry ground. And while Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground, because they had consecrated themselves the day before, the next day, the miraculous was done and that God literally parted the Red Sea. He parted that huge obstacle that was at flood stage. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like the flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against it. That's what he did. The flood was there keeping them between them and their promise, keeping them from crossing over into that. And the answer was for them to consecrate themselves unto God for his purpose, for his will, because God knew. He said, okay, if these people, if I let them cross over into the promise and they've not first consecrated their heart, if they don't love the things I love, if they don't think about the things I think, if their belief system isn't lined up with my belief system, if they don't act the way I act, they're not going to walk in the way I want them to walk once they get into the promise. They're going to corrupt the promise. And so God said, you've got to first consecrate yourself. When our emotions and our heart are consecrated to God, I will begin thinking the right things. It begins in the heart. It's got to start right here. You can all stand When we begin believing what is true and then begin acting in a way that is pleasing to God, we'll not only walk and persevere in the path of righteousness, but we will be led into our promise. The promise, the ultimate promise, is able to step into eternity and to hear the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. That's what I want to hear the Lord say. Yeah, the Lord has promised me things, and I believe the Lord has promised you some things here in this earth, and he's asking us to bring some consecration to the table. He's asking us to put our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice, saying, God, whatever you want, however you want me to do, the things that you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And then those promises are going to come. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www. 
livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on your cheeks. I'm going to wait on your cheeks.